Hello and welcome to episode 356 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. That's Ben Olson. Together, we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If uh, you would like, you can be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com, especially if you're listening to this show on Monday when it comes out. We will be recording uh, tomorrow, Tuesday. And so if you have anything to say about this show, we would love to hear from you. Help at thinkinglsat.com. Uh, this is going to air, by the way, three days before the August 2022 LSAT registration deadline. I have a couple of announcements here. Um, yeah, the deadline is uh, Thursday, June 30th to sign up for that August 2022 test. I also on Thursday, June 30th, am doing a free class um, that's at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and it is called What LSAT Score Variance Means. So if your scores are bouncing up and down, and you want to know why, come uh, have a little discussion with me about randomness and uh, especially how that applies to your LSAT score. Can we eliminate variance? Should we embrace the variance? Go to lsat.link slash Nathan if you would like to sign up for that class. And uh, I believe see pre-recorded versions too. See, see the previous classes. Is that yeah. LSAT.link slash Nathan? Um, okay. No, that's going to just take oh. them specifically to this class. Oh, okay. So you can sign up at LSAT.link slash Nathan. Live subscribers have access to, or actually no, all of our demon subscribers, right? Have access to the recorded versions of these classes. Yeah, they do. Um, okay. So hopefully you'll come join me. Um, we are still hiring. If you have a 170 something LSAT and you studied with us, via the podcast and the demon, and you think you would like to join our teaching core, just email me. I'm Nathan at lsatdemon.com. I need uh, your score report, official 170 something on record, and uh, a video of you teaching. We're especially looking for logic games teachers. So a video of you teaching a game. Um, but if you don't have a whiteboard and you want to just teach logical reasoning question, that's fine too. Just kind of explain your way through a logical reasoning question. And share that with me, uh, Nathan at lsatdemon.com. All right, you ready to dive into uh, our discussion? Yeah, let's do it. In response to our lengthy discussion from episode 355 about the, uh, you know, the deal where the logic games, LSAT logic games are going to go away uh, over time or they're yep. going to change at least. Sure. Um, due to a lawsuit from a blind applicant who said that the games were discriminatory. We asked listeners for um, feedback on the issue, and we got uh, a lot of thoughtful emails, but I wanted to start with this uh, long one here from John. Okay. So it says, Howdy, guys. After your extensive discussion of the disadvantages the logic games and LSAT generally posed for blind test takers, I wanted to add a bit of firsthand perspective from both sides of the issue. I was born legally blind and have known I wanted to be an attorney since middle school. Most of my blind heroes were attorneys, and it seemed like the one profession that didn't that didn't completely shut the door to us. Our labor force participation rate tends to hover around 30 to 40 percent. So the possibility of a stable middle class income seemed too good to it not least strive for. I was really disappointed or uh, not disappointed. I was surprised to learn that the uh, labor force participation for the blind is 
so low, apparently. I would have guessed that it would be way higher than that. Well, when I saw those numbers, 30 to 40%, I thought, wow, that's low. But then I was like, wait, what is it normally? I have no idea. Oh, yeah. Labor force. Because there's a difference between labor labor force participation and like one minus unemployment. Because unemployment is only of people who are like seeking work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe that number 30 to 40 percent is, you know, of the people who want to work, it might be a lot higher than that. OK, interesting. Hmm. John continues, says, then came senior year of college and my first exposure to the LSAT. After I tried to familiarize myself with logic games, I searched for any resources I could to make sense of the entirely foreign scenarios. Everything, bar none, was based on diagramming. While I technically have limited vision, I don't think visually, but rather verbally. And because of that, I assumed I'd have to bomb 25% of the test and be barred from the top 30 to 40 schools, both severely limiting my job prospects and putting me in over $100,000 of non-dischargeable debt. This was in 2007. In 2007, the games were only 25% of the test. Of course, after COVID and the conversion to... LSAT flex. And then now the new online three sections, three scored section version of the LSAT games is actually 33% of the test now. Um, So anyway, John is like trying to do this stuff visually and he doesn't think visually uh, and he's really struggling with the games. Fast forward 15 years. My girlfriend suggests last December that I look back into law school since I literally nearly worked for free from 2020 to 2021. I do look into it. Same issue. I talked to several tutors, none of whom had any idea how to teach this section in a non-visual way. So I learned it their way. I used Excel to construct diagrams and tried to infer the answers from those diagrams. It worked to an extent. After five months of intensive study, I got near perfect scores if given enough time, which LSAC is now more than willing to do. I took the June administration, had issues with Excel, and decided to try doing it without diagrams in lieu of forcing LSAC to give me an in-person administration. Eureka! Not only am I faster, I'm more accurate. And what's more, I actually enjoy doing the games. Don't ask me how I do it, other than just rapidly, verbally solving each question in my head, but it works. Your explanations at the Demon are still very helpful because I can incorporate your methodology into my own while disregarding the visual representations. The problem here is twofold, I think. One, we lack instructors capable of drilling this stuff verbally. I'm not sure what the proper method is for that, but there must be someone capable of coming up with one. Two, a lot of us really need to take an honest inventory and realize that life is much, much harder for us, and we just have to accept that and do all the extra work required to succeed. It sucks having to work twice as hard to get half as far, but I don't see a Lenin waiting in the wings to rescue us anytime soon. Do you understand what that means? Nope. Never heard that phrase before. I have no idea what you're talking about there. Sorry, John. Or, yeah, Ben will Google it. Or we could not do the extra work. But if we don't, we're not going to be very successful attorneys. Besides, if we can learn to do this in our heads now, we're already a step ahead of our peers in terms of organizing all the information we'll be receiving as 1Ls and applying it on our exams. This echoes, you know, our, our hypothesis, Ben, or at least my hypothesis. In, in the, we discussed this at length in the last episode. It's just 
it's like, yeah, sighted people tend to use a visual diagram to solve these puzzles. But <laughs> so if you're not a sighted person and you're trying to use a visual solution, that's going to be hard. But there's no reason why the blind cannot figure out what order six animals are in. Or there's no reason a blind person can't figure out which birds are in the forest. There's not pictures of the birds. <laughs> there's verbal. There's there's words. Yeah. To describe the rules about the birds. And it's like, yeah, we're going to have six of these, you know, some combination of these six birds in the forest. And LSAT teachers might make you think that you have to make a picture to solve this, but that's just one way of solving these puzzles. John has realized that it was the LSAT teaching that was keeping him from being able to solve the LSAT logic games. Yeah. And, and it was, so it was the dogma that was actually, you know, causing the problem. Yeah. The truth is these, these puzzles are simple compared to the kinds of systems that you're going to be, grappling with in law school oh, absolutely. <laughs> overlapping layers of jurisdictions and dog you know different doctrines competing and, and and you know different like theories of why we you know different <laughs> even like, even just one contract <laughs> right like if you look at yeah. your standard contract it's like notwithstanding <laughs> Here too, with what has been said or something, you know, crazy like that, this clause is going to now supersede all of that. And you're like, oh, OK, well, this is superseding everything. So this is going to be the thing that matters most. And of course, you know, you talk to some attorney and they're like, yeah, well, actually, <laughs> state law is going to come over that. So good luck. Like you just, you know, there's a lot of hierarchies and yeah, I, 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 my my 1L year, I had a statutory interpretation class where we focused on tax law. Mm -hmm. We had the, the book of regulations like this thick of just trying to figure out, you know, multiple interweaving, overlapping layers of not well exceptions thought out either. to exceptions to exceptions. Yeah, right. It was like a horrible combination of evolution and also designed by a committee. Oh, yeah. Over, you know, like over the years. And it's just this huge bloated and, you know, like there's not six variables. There's 600 variables. Yeah. And blind people have been kicking ass in the legal profession for forever, for years. So it's I don't know. I it just it's condescending to say that blind people can't solve these puzzles now, not getting, you know, because it, it, in the bad old days, it was like. Blind people had to struggle to get a Braille test or blind people had to struggle to get extra time to decipher the Braille test. Yeah. But like changing the nature of the problems to be solved <laughs> themselves is just I don't know. It's absurd, but I guess that's what we're doing. I feel like we have an advantage already been on on uh, like whatever they move toward. Sure. Yeah. Simply because we don't rely on dogma. We don't rely so much on types, right? We mm -hmm. like our whole thing is, hey, 
read it carefully, understand what it's saying, improvise a solution, figure that shit out. There's lots of different ways to, to solve it. Figure it out. Let's talk about, you know, and and for sighted people, we look at various visual solutions because that's how we tend to organize our our thoughts. But no reason why blind people can't figure it out in the more of like a theater of the mind sort of a way. Well, in my experience, um, people who take the test or do the games without diagramming, right? We get those every now and then. It's like the first day of class. And you're like, oh, let's I do a game together. I just it all in my head. Yeah. And they're like, wait, diagramming? What are you talking about? I just hear the answers and they are correct. Those people tend to do the games faster because they're not being bogged down by writing things down. And I would imagine, I have no idea, but I would imagine that blind people are probably even better at that process <laughs> Than One any would sighted, certainly think. Yeah, sighted people who have been doing that already. It's a small percentage of students who come in and do that. But it could be a lot bigger if we then said, okay, yeah, this is how we do games. We don't draw anything. We really try to understand the rules. <laughs> and how many people would start practicing that way and end up get, getting good yeah. at it? We well, have no idea. <laughs> because we certainly don't do what so many novices do or not, they're not novices. They they've learned just enough to be totally fucked up mm -hmm. where they read the first rule and then immediately start drawing some template that they've learned somewhere. Like they think they know what type of game it is and they start writing out a template and it's like, whoa, you haven't even read the rest of the rules. You don't even know what we're doing here. What are you doing? What are you doing? They're already off to the races, but they're like going the wrong direction, you know? Yeah. Well, one thing that you've pushed a lot is reading all the rules before you start drawing anything. If I'm understanding you correctly. Oh, I can't imagine doing it any other way. Well, I've started doing that a lot because that's not how I did it before. And um, what's surprising to me is if you treat logic games like logical reasoning or reading comprehension, where you're really trying to visualize, read and understand, the rules become a lot easier to remember. You remember them because they're a visual thing. They're an actual thing. You're, yeah. you're imagining the teachers sitting in a room and you're like, oh, wait, you two can't be together. And if you are going to teach this class and this other person has to teach right. with you. Okay. And so then... <laughs> And what are these games? Most of the time when people get stuck, when they're stuck on a question, it's like, yeah, did you remember that rule? No, I go, oh, I forgot it. Oh, okay. Not only that, but, you know, if you read all the rules first, there's there's frequently a, a place to start mm -hmm. that that immediately makes life simpler, right? Like you'll read down and it'll be the fourth rule. And the fourth rule is like, well, Q always goes fifth. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. Well, OK, because I could have been thinking through all these wild scenarios with the earlier previous variables and the way they all dance around. But if Q has to be fifth, well, OK, then that's a that's that's a barrier. You know, that's going to mm. like really narrow the number of possible solutions to this game. And you, you start yeah. to you start to as a sighted person, I see it. You know, a a visual representation of it because I think visually because I am a sighted person. But 
I can imagine that the exact same thing would happen without sight where you would just be like, okay, got it. You know, one, two, three, four, five cues always fifth. I don't know. I can kind of like hear it if I, if I try to force myself to do that. And, uh, that's, that's obviously, yeah, you're like simplifying the game, organizing the game in whatever way works for you. Anyway, John continues all that said, I'm comfortable saying I support the settlement only because I've known too many extremely bright people who, because of multiple factors, that is lack of Braille prep tests, onerous accommodation requirements, lack of scaled scores or disclaimer letters pre-2012, in addition to low raw scores due to logic games, have been kept out of the best schools. So, you know, that to me is like you're you're now you're lumping together a lot of <laughs> different causes <laughs> yeah like lack of braille tests or making it super impossible to get the accommodations in the first place mm-hmm. that's a whole different league than you know what this the settlement turned out to be as as i understand it is uh forcing them to <laughs> it's so crazy like if you think about what they're actually having to get rid of it, what i, I don't I'd have to go read it, I suppose. But like what? It's it's like the only thing that I don't know. It's like, well, you have to get rid of the games in their current form. Because it's because the current form is discriminatory. Yeah. But what about it is discri- what is it that makes it discriminatory? Yeah. Because lack of Braille tests. OK, that's discriminatory. Like making it impossible to get the accommodations. That's discriminatory. Figuring out which birds are in the forest. I, I don't. I don't see why that would actually be a barrier. So um, there's okay. there's three games in the 400 some odd games available that have drawings, right? So presumably those would be discriminatory, but sure ended long ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean the the ski chalets or whatever where they like actually give you a picture. But the picture is actually described and it's not like no, the picture isn't like is super not, illuminating. It's not like, right. like, oh, wow. Well, now I understand what you're saying. Right. But if it were, if that were the case, you yeah. know, if it was like, <laughs> if it was like, whose face is this? And it's like, mm. shows you, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> facial okay. recognition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. That's discriminatory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, there's not really pictures. It's just that LSAT dogma tends to suggest that you need to make a picture anyway. Yeah. Hmm. Just as an aside, John says, ABA only imposed the LSAT requirement on law schools after a blind law school candidate who's now on the Michigan Supreme Court successfully got an ADA waiver from Northwestern citing logic games. So there does seem to be a systematic exclusionary pattern here that needs to be seriously addressed. Hmm. Well, there's a correlation there. So someone got an ADA waiver and then the ABA imposed the LSAT requirement after that. Is that because of that? I guess like it was retribution, like they hated the fact that this person got a waiver from the school. So then I, I don't know. Hmm. Okay. We'd, we'd need. Yeah, I don't. We'd, and anyway, that history. would have been something that happened forever ago. Right. Because the ABA yeah. requirement was. 
a long time ago. Anyway, this turned into a much longer rant than I intended, but I thought I'd try to add as much context as possible since the new Logic games are going to make for an altered teaching slash learning experience in a year and a half. Praise the demon. Very truly yours, John. Thanks, John. Super, super appreciate that. You want to read this? This is a follow up question. and same issue sure. from Kyle. I do have a question. Um, where did John get a year and a half? He's just speculating, I guess, based on the timeline. Maybe that's for these, the timeline. Yeah. yeah. For how it take how long it takes to get these experimentals into an official test. Okay. Well, um, for anyone who's cited, I'm assuming most of you out there, what does this mean? Well, we'll wait and see. But if anything, what you're doing in the demon is just going to become easier. That's all it is. It's going to become. I guess easier. we don't really have to read this email from Kyle. Kyle just emailed to say, "Hey, when do you believe they will implement the Logic Games change?" And John answered that for us. Thanks, John. Yeah, I'm going with John's year and a half. Sounds about. I mean, right. that's. John sounds like he knows what he's talking about. So I, I'm, I'll go with a year and a half or never or who knows? I mean, I like who knows what's going to happen? Oh, well, yeah. How did how did people respond to the survey? They're like, oh, I really needed a diagram for that <laughs> easier question. And they're like, have to go back to the drawing board. But we'll see. Yeah. I mean, this settlement, whenever it happened, it's been at least like, what, a couple of years, right? Mm hmm. And since then, the games went from 25% of the test to 33% of the test. That's the only thing that's actually happened. Well, that and they've been testing. Um, <laughs> they've been testing new questions, uh, at least on this most recent test. Yeah, that's a really interesting like outcome, right? We're like, oh, games are discriminatory. OK, we'll make <laughs> maybe the ABA and LSAC does have a history, right? <laughs> they get yeah, attacked. They really <laughs> nah, that can't be the case. Um, OK. You want to uh, read this next email? We got a kind of a mailbag here. We've got a whole bunch of different emails from listeners. By the way, thank you for writing in. Um, if you're a day one listener and you email help at thinkinglsat.com, you can uh, probably get something on the agenda for the show that we will record tomorrow. We record on Tuesdays. So uh, thank you for uh, John and other people who wrote in about this Logic Games and the Blind issue. Uh, really appreciate learning from you guys. Help at thinkinglsat.com. Yeah, so this is from Anonymous. It says, Hi, Ben and Nathan. I've studied with the demon live for the past six months. My experience has been phenomenal. Oh, okay. This is I like where this is starting, at least. <laughs> I scored a 173 on the April test. I was pleased, but I knew I could do even better. So I retook in June and await my score. If I don't earn at least a 175, I'll probably retake it in August. I have several years of work experience, most recently as my company's chief technology officer. I oversee about 30 people and handle everything in my department from hiring to budgets to project management. On the work history and LSA side of things, I feel like a strong applicant, but there's one major problem. I'm a dropout. I left college after my fifth semester roughly 10 years ago. My GPA from those years was abysmal. About two years ago, I went back to school and finished my degree. I earned all A pluses the remaining three semesters. It helps some, but my UGPA, his, this correspondence undergraduate GPA, ended up a crappy 
With a 3.23 GPA and a 175 LSAT, the Demon Scholarship Estimator suggests the best schools, the best school where I'm likely to earn full scholarship is BYU. I have two questions for you. Where in my applications, if anywhere, should I address dropping out? Do you guys think I have any shot at a T14 scholarship? Thanks. By the way, the estimator is at lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. What do you think? I just don't. I'm not going to really speculate about whether John has a shot at a T14 scholarship. I mean, go the scholarship estimator results are a hell of a lot better than I could randomly predict. I don't know. We don't really engage in that type of statsturbation, or at least we try not to on this podcast. That's what Reddit's for. Um, So should this correspondent apply? Yeah, absolutely. You should apply broadly and you should find out what happens. You're you're an excellent candidate. Some law school is going to recognize you as an excellent candidate. You might get into the very top schools in the entire country. You know, with a 175 plus, I would think that most schools have to take a look. <laughs> yeah, they have to look, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I I would write two sentences. You know, I would say it sounds like you could probably justify two sentences here, right? Because it's like the before everything before you dropped out, you know, you're just going to say that happened 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago, I had a whatever GPA period when I after, you know, when I went back to school in whatever year, comma, I earned 4.3. Is that what you're saying? You said you earned all A pluses. Just say that I earned all A pluses in the remaining three semesters, period. And I I wouldn't even say anything more than that. I think those two sentences do a good job, right? The first one is like, hey, this was a long time time ago. ago. Here's what it was. Second one is like, I got nothing but A pluses once I finished my degree. And it to the extent that they actually get to to the to read it, that now they have an opportunity to go, oh hey, diamond in the rough time. Like this person's gonna crush it. They're just it unfortunately their numbers don't show that. Yeah. And don't, but, but don't like, don't don't think about it so much and don't, don't worry about it. You just, yeah, you need to get the best LSAT you can get and then apply and see what happens. Cool. Okay. Next one is from Erica says, hi, I've been listening for about a month now. I just found out a couple of months ago that I'm graduating for my undergrad early. So that'll be spring of 2023. I currently have an overall GPA of 3.8 and the last two semesters I have gotten a 4.0. I have been studying for the LSAT for a couple months now, but so far I can barely get any questions right during my practice. Do you guys have any study tips or advice? Yeah, just start with drilling. Um, I don't know what you mean by during my practice. I don't know if you're a demon member, but you can get a free account at lsatdemon.com and start drilling because the drilling AI, I don't know if AI is the right word, but the drilling algorithm is going to start you with the easiest questions and it's going to give you an opportunity to get your mind wrapped around those as you do well in them. 
you'll start to get harder questions, but you need to get those right first. And that's where you need to start. Yeah. Anybody can use demon drilling, by the way, lsatdemon.com, get a free account, just start drilling, do one question at a time. But like Erica, this might be a little bit of hyperbole, right? I barely get any questions, right? Okay. I mean, if I take you at your word, then I have two hypotheses. One, you're going so fast that you're just not even doing the questions really. And you just, you need to slow down. You need to stop trying to race the clock. It's not multiple guess. It's, it's, you need to solve it. Two, you know, if you are being slow and careful, like if you're really taking your time and you can still not get any of them right. Yeah. Then this is not the right field for you and you should go find something else to do. But I don't think that's the case. I, I think my, I think the first hypothesis is almost certain, right? She's she's just skimming. She's not really reading it. She's not understanding that the right answer answers the question and the wrong answers just don't. She's like comparing answers to each other and going, yeah, you know, it's pro. Well, it's got to be one of these. Uh, probably this one. And it's yeah. like, no, read it. Well, she's also a 4.0, so maybe her definition of barely any right, right is yeah. three wrong. <laughs> <laughs> people do have, it's funny, yeah, the, the people who get really good grades tend to have uh, higher standards and uh, undersell themselves quite a bit. So, yeah, I would just take it one question at a time, Erica. If there's anything you don't understand... Read the written explanations in the demon, watch the video explanations in the demon, hit the ask button and let our team of tutors get back to you. But it's always just let's not talk about I barely get any right. Let's talk about one question that you missed and let's figure out how you could have gotten that one right. OK, want to read this email from Avani? Yep. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I hope this email finds you in good health. Likewise, I'm writing today to get advice on how to review reading comprehension passages. Should we approach them exactly like LR, reread the passage and do the six question blind review method? Basically, is there a method to review reading comp? You might want to unpack your six questions there. <laughs> well, I think what Avani means is just should I blind review all six questions in the passage oh, oh i thought this was like oh my six questions yeah 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 my six questions which ben thinks should be two questions <laughs> um i mean essentially it's why is the right answer right and why yeah. is the wrong answer wrong that's his, at but, its core yep but under why is the right answer right you could also ask yourself why didn't i pick it and how am I going to avoid making that mistake next time? I, I, what I want you to really think about that right answer and the, the, I want you to like sit with it, or I want you to notice the mistake you made when you failed to pick that answer. Yeah. You're saying, look, I want you to understand it. I want you to understand the reason, the reasoning uh, behind why that answer choice is correct and why another answer choice is wrong. But uh, you also want people to understand the process that they implemented that led to their mistake. Yes. Right? Like I what were they actually doing, thinking, or yeah, 
doing or thinking. And, and, and this is independent of the wrong answer because that's a separate thing. I want people to compartmentalize two mistakes, mm-hmm. one for the right answer and one for the wrong answer. Yep. The right answer is right. Why is it right? But what didn't you like about it? Why didn't you pick it? It was sitting there the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's right there. It answers the question. What was it about it that kept you from picking it? What's up? How? Why did you make that mistake? And don't start talking about the wrong answer because that's a yeah. separate issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's I can't. It's like so common that I'm like, well, wait a second. Can you tell me why B's right? And then the student's like, well, but D is. Blah. And I'm like, I don't Nope, <laughs> That's not we're not there yet. We're talking about this answer. Yeah. Why is it right? And what was going on when you read it? Did you read it? Did you understand it? Did you misunderstand it? Is there something, one word that you didn't like? What was it that kept you from picking that and see if you can figure it out? Then separately, totally Mm -hmm. separate issue. The wrong answer that you did pick. What's wrong with that? Why doesn't it answer the question? But why did you pick it? Describe that mistake how are you going to avoid that mistake next time? So if that's the six question blind review method that Ivani is referring to, probably. Um, yeah, I don't know that. I mean, what do you think about this idea that Ivani thinks that um, they should reread the passage? Is that really necessary? Well, I think not the in, whole thing, right? In logical reasoning, right? This obviously happens a lot and easily because you get a question wrong and it's like, okay, let me make sure I read and understood it. Um, and so you, you're going to reread that argument, but for the reading comp passage, you know, I don't suggest people do this, but at the same time, a lot of people's mistakes stem from their failure to clearly understand the passage. We do, we do read the passage to people <laughs> in the explanation yeah. for a lot of our reading comp passages and we're trying to help you see how to understand it. At the very least, some people who are struggling especially should be listening to that and, and reading along with it. Yeah. Avani, the method for reviewing reading comprehension is to dig in to your mistakes. You're definitely going to have to reread parts of the passage. <laughs> sure. Right? Yeah, because the pass- the reason why the right answer is right is because that's what it said in the passage. Mm-hmm. And the reason why the wrong answers are wrong is because that's the opposite of what it said in the passage, or it's just something adjacent, tangential, but just not what the passage said. What do you think a good rule of thumb is? If you get more than two wrong, you need, you need to stop. Reread the entire and, thing. Yeah, reread the entire thing, sentence by sentence, and yep. then answer those questions again. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Thanks, Ivani. Hey, I thought it would be a good time to check in on the streak leaderboard. Okay. Uh, so let me see if I can find that. I'm going to the dashboard. Correct. I'm going up to where it says current streak. I'm clicking yep. on that. And we now have a, oh boy, Ooh. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight way tie at the top. <laughs> 64 days in a row for Rebecca, Michael, Grant, Colin, Zach, Vin, Garrett, and George. Congrats. Impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, y'all. Uh, all right. Next email. Okay. It's my turn. All right. This is from Hugh. Yep. 
I discovered your podcast last week and have since binged several episodes. As I listened, I came across some of your methodologies that I believe conflict with my current approach to LSAT studying. I would love to hear your thoughts first. Here is some brief background. I graduated college in 2019 and have since worked at a small nonprofit for a little over three years. In the last cycle, I applied with a GRE only because I intended to pursue a JD slash MPP dual degree. And then in parentheses, Hugh says, stupid, I know. I, well, I mean, I don't know, like, that's actually one of the dual degrees that sounds like it might be sensible. What's an MPP degree? Master's in public policy. Ah, uh. Sure. Yeah, there's I a mean, lot I of... have no idea what an MPP is for. It's, you know, it's public policy, but maybe you work on the Hill and you need yeah. a JD too. Yeah, maybe. Right. So depending on what exact job you're looking at, I don't know that that's like inherently stupid. I do know that the JD is the one that's going to let you practice law and the MPP is not. And I would say the presumption is <laughs> dual degrees are stupid. <laughs> yeah. And the JD probably does trump that master's in public policy. That mm -hmm. sounds to me like some school trying to get an extra $60,000 yeah. out of you. Yeah. But, one more year and like, oh, you need this econ training. Do I? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, with a high GRE and a 3.75 UGPA, I naively assumed I would be in decent shape. Of course, my prospects on the law school side at the end of the cycle were slim. With only two acceptances with little money and seven top 14 or top 20 wait lists. I guess you could have just said top 20 there. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Law school is my priority, so I will now take the September slash October LSAT if I'm ready and reapply this autumn. My diagnostic LSAT score was a 159, and that broke down uh, minus 5 in LR, minus 5 in reading comp, and minus 12 in games, which is, um, that's, a real good pro that's a real good prognosis for improvement on the LSAT. Man. Yeah, you're going to get that games down to minus 0, and the other two, you're going to pick up some points pretty quickly because you already have a strong grasp of reading. I would make a big wager that we could get Hugh to the 170s. Yeah, should we should we open a a betting? Yeah, like a betting, oh, a casino. Form? Yeah, I am in Nevada. This. Yeah, <laughs> um, I would bet on I would bet on you, Hugh. Um, if you use the demon, I I would be real confident that we could pretty quickly get you up into the 170s. Mm -hmm. My first question, because I mean, games, yeah, you just clean up your games and you're already there pretty much. But um, get a, you know, another point or two in LR and RC and yeah, you should be solidly in the 170s. My first question is regarding full time studying. My current job is very cyclical. Some weeks are 40 hours while other months long periods consist of 70 plus hour weeks. Sounds like somebody who works uh, maybe in a law firm, huh? <laughs> You're ready for what's ahead. Yeah. Right now I can study part time just fine. But come July slash August and onward, my life would be entirely consumed by work. I am therefore leaving my job in two weeks to study full time. Perhaps you have covered this in episodes I have not heard, but I was wondering 
whether you have observed any negative impacts of studying full time. I assume it's something that you believe is unnecessary, but I'm curious if there are reasons I should avoid 40 plus hour study weeks. You know, it's funny is we just a couple episodes ago, we had someone who did this and was making a lot of progress. But for the vast majority of people, studying full time is not effective. It's like going to the gym full time. Your brain needs a break. So you can't leverage the 40 hour work week to study. But, you know, I'm actually not opposed to Hugh quitting his job because it sounds like he just wouldn't have any mental capacity. Maybe. Yeah. And who cares about that job anyway? I mean, unless yeah. you're going to go to work for that firm when you come out of law school, uh, you're not burning bridges to just leave some dumb job. Right? Yeah. People leave for whatever reason all the time. So leaving, I mean, maybe you get a part-time job, Hugh, if you can, just so that mm -hmm. you're not like driving yourself insane <laughs> with um, LSAT full-time. But yeah. You know, other than burnout, I don't really have any reason to avoid a 40 plus hour study week if you've really got that kind of work ethic. I would say, though, if you're going to go that route. I might sign up for the August test. I mean, the deadline to sign up for August is Thursday, June 30th. Mm -hmm. At least keep and that option open. That's kind of I would buy that option to take it because especially if you want to apply this cycle, Hugh, waiting for a first attempt in September sounds bad. Is there even a September test? What are all the upcoming? I forget the cycle this uh, fall. It's uh, LSAT.link forward right. slash dates. LSAT.link forward slash dates. And I see that we have an LSAT. September. In September, an LSAT in October, and an LSAT in November. Yeah, you don't have to take the August test, Hugh, but it gives you your best chance for still applying early in the cycle. I would hate it if you waited for September or October and then end up taking September, October, November, and then trying to apply in December or something. I, I really don't like that plan. So no, I might September try to push. August, right? That's, that's Hugh's two best shots right there. I would take it in August and September and apply <clears throat> and maybe take it in October as well to try to get a few more points. But, you know, I think if you're really trying not to pay for law school, you would have all those applications in. In September, at least that's our philosophy on it. It's worked out pretty well for people who have actually followed our advice. Yeah. My second question is regarding study methods. I have been very enticed to go with the demon after listening to the confidence you have in your students ability to progress by 15 plus points. Yeah, I mean, especially when you start with a diagnostic in the 150s and you suck at the games. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do have a lot of confidence. Yep. Hugh says, my goal is to break 170. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you can do that. However, when I found you guys, I was more than halfway through the LSAT trainer don't worry, though. I agree. Reading the question first is bullshit, so I will not be using that approach. I mean, that's like their core. That's like their core philosophy. But uh, OK, so <laughs> should I drop the trainer now and go the demon, go the demon way? Yes. It's self-serving to say that. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> or finish what I've started by mid-July and transition to the demon then. 
I don't want to build bad habits that your methodology may need to break down later. Thank you for your valuable time. And I send best wishes. Hugh, should should Hugh finish what he started? Absolutely not. So over the years, right, how we differ from pretty much it seems like everyone else out there yeah. has become clearer and clearer and clearer. We are going to teach you how to understand this test intuitively. And Hugh, you're the perfect candidate for that. Yeah. I mean, really, I feel like everyone is. I, I don't. It's the best way to progress on the test. But for someone like you, you're already coming into the test with a deep understanding of what's going on. And so when you get bogged down by this technical dogma that's really perpetuated by the almost every other company that we encounter or tutor that we learn about, um, you're just going to end up hurting yourself. So you're you're one, you're continuing down some methodology that may end up being harmful. And two, you're not giving yourself as much time as you could have with our approach, which is intuitive. Now, if that doesn't, if you guys have tried the demon and it doesn't work for you, well, then I imagine you're not still listening to this podcast. Go. There's so many other approaches out there that use very technical methods, right? That's not what we're going to do. And so I would, I would drop it today. If it is not even about the money, like if you need to go to demon free, go to demon free and you got lots of free content there. Yeah, we're biased, but we're also right, I think. Uh, Time is your most valuable resource, Hugh. And I do think you're wasting time and confusing yourself. You've already recognized that question first is bullshit on logical reasoning. Well, why do you care what other tips that book set has? Yeah, it's nicely formatted. But don't let that <laughs> don't let that uh, deceive you, right? Uh, yeah, we've we've rescued hundreds of trainer refugees. I mean, the truth is, people come to us after doing the trainer, and then they go, "Oh, wait, your way is so much simpler." Yeah, I know. So I would <laughs> stop spinning your wheels and just do it our way, totally. Yeah. Um, give it, give it a, sh- give it a shot for a month and see what you think. But I, I'm pretty convinced that we can blow your mind in a month. Try LSAT demon live Hugh, for one month and sign up for the August test. I don't, th- I don't think you'll regret that. Yep. All right. This email is from Sophia. Why don't you read this one? Hi, Ben and Nathan exclamation point. First of all, thank you for helping me improve my LSAT score and gain overall confidence in everything law school related. As a first generation college student, the endless stream of of advice that I can access for free through the podcasts has helped me feel less lost during this daunting process. My question is about whether I should write a simple addendum for my GPA situation. I'm currently a rising senior in college. I'm graduating early, so I have one more semester left to complete. I currently have a 3.67 GPA. However, I expect that to rise to a 3.72 after I complete this next semester. I already hear Nathan's voice in my head telling me to stop studying for the LSAT and only focus on grades. But, but (laughs) ever since I started listening to your podcast, I have made the necessary sacrifices to achieve a 4.0 GPA and plan to continue that trend. Excellent, okay. Sophia. You're allowed yeah. to continue studying for the LSAT. <laughs> you have permission. Otherwise, yeah. I would have banned you from the demon and from listening to the podcast. But you're yeah. getting your straight A's. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Based on this information, I am wondering if I should write a GPA addendum as I am applying to law school in September before my grades come out for my final semester. Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. But your addendum is going to be one sentence. My GPA since whatever has been 4.0, period? Yes. Yeah. Like, point to the increasing grade trend, don't editorialize, and then just stop thinking about it. You know, it could be something like, when I decided to get serious about applying to law school, I started getting A's in every class. Something like that. I mean, it's just, it's not a lot more than that. It's just sort of like the fact is I've gotten all straight A's since X time. I think I would just stick with that. I almost feel like as soon as you start introducing reasons, yeah. it's like, well, wait, why, why weren't you serious? Why weren't before? you serious before? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly. the problem. Even with yeah. good reasons, they end up being bad. Um, do you have a class on just knocking these out? I thought you yeah, were talking so about doing I've, that. Yes, I recently rebooted our series of admissions classes. Let me see if the next one is on the calendar. Yes, it is. Um, we're doing a personal statement workshop this Friday, the 24th. Okay. Uh, sorry. So, well, it already happened for those who are hearing the podcast now. Mm. But uh, Demon Live subscribers can can still watch the uh, recorded class. Anyway, it's uh, it's on topic generation and and it's like it's really more time than it even deserves. But I'm going to do a presentation for, you know, 20 minutes about personal statement topics and what we think is a good idea. Here's a few different ideas for you. Then we're going to divide into breakouts, probably switch up and do breakouts again. Then I'm going to come back and do some Q&A. And then mm -hmm. I'm going to turn people loose to go write their first draft. And it's just it's like but. <laughs> There's not I, I'm not I am going to do a class in supplementary essays, but it's going to be later. And and it's I mean, this this one, this grade thing. I mean, this is a five minute assignment. Mm -hmm. You will do it in class. It will be done. Yeah. So um, if you're a Demon Live subscriber, yeah, come come to those admissions workshops. And I, I'm just not going to we're not going to sit around and like fantasize or worry about our GPA addendum or any other yeah, or speculate that we have to write. on all sorts of stuff like, Oh, well, what if I had this work experience? Nope, nope, nope. Stop. None, none of this is a valuable use of your time. You need to get these things done so that you can get back to the very important business of getting the very best LSAT you can. And the very best GPA you can, if that's still an option. Yeah. Which Sophia is already getting that 4.0. Cool. Um, anything else for Sophia? Sounds nope. like Sophia is doing great. That's exactly what we're looking for. All right. This one is from Andres. It says, hey, guys, love the channel. Found y'all through the YouTube algorithm. LOL. Your advice has given me clarity through this journey, and I really appreciate it. Smiley face. That said, I value y'all's feedback and wonder what your thoughts are on taking the LSAT three times August through October. <laughs> then this, I hypothesize progressive higher scores to be the following 162, wow. 165, 167. <laughs> Oddly specific. Okay. <laughs> well, it's just <laughs> fictional. I mean, it's just like this okay, good one. But what are you talking about? You don't know that that's going to happen. 
everybody who sits for the test has like plus or minus five around their their average. So ain't going to be no steady progression. I mean, even if your actual ability is mm-hmm. 162, 165, 167, your first score is going to be 162 plus or minus five. five yeah. And your last score is going to be 167 plus or minus five, which means that it would be very easy for you to have a higher score on your first attempt than on your third attempt, even if those were your averages. Yeah. So you the, it's nice. I mean, I I don't want to like kill Andres for writing in. <laughs> I appreciate you writing in Andres, but that's just a total story time. I mean, uh, yeah. what are you talking about? Anyway, I started 531 May, uh, May 31st and have solely focused on logic games. Mm. My okay. diagnostic was six out of 23. And now I'm at conservatively 15 out of 23. That's timed. I can get 20 out of 23 consistently within one and a half time. Um, yeah. Time and a half on the games is like a very powerful <laughs> boost. Um, I anticipate an 18 out of 23 for August, but I think I can get that up to at least 20 out of 23 by October. And you're just like totally ignoring the fact that some sections of games are harder. Some sections of games are easier. Sometimes the first game just connects you. You like you, you, you see the shortcut. Sometimes you don't see the shortcut. Yeah. You, you have no idea what you're going to be in August versus what you're going to be in October. I mean, you will continue to improve if you continue to study. But these are just made up numbers. I start on a combo of logical reasoning and reading comprehension tomorrow while still doing one or two logic games sections per day. That's good. That's a solid amount of games practice. Okay. I'll then be doing two to three practice exams with a thorough review each week. That's too many. Along with buffer days to drill on weaknesses, including... Missed question types. Oh, boy. Wow. Do you think this is a good, realistic plan? No, I don't. I think my practice tests will keep me grounded. I haven't done any except for an old diagnostic last November. LOL. Cheers, Andres. (laughs) Okay. This is a brand new (laughs) listener. Welcome, Andres. Go ahead, Ben. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because... A lot of people fall into this trap, right? Of like trying to do too much, over-engineering this whole practice experience. Um, And right now, as we're working on Demon 3.0, we're trying to figure out how do we guide people in a way that is not um, also itself a distraction. And what I keep coming back to, and this is what you've said a million times, is that to get good at the LSAT, you have to do one question and then you have to review it. And understand it. Right. And so this whole like, oh, I'm doing a combo of LR and RC tomorrow. I'm doing one to two logic game sections a day. Like, are you doing all eight of those games and learning what you did wrong and how you could have done them better for the next time? Uh, Practice tests. Yeah, it's great to do a full practice test every now and then to feel what it's like to do sections back to back. But I much, much or more strongly prefer sections to test because you can review them right after, Yeah. which gets back to do a question and review it. And if you don't have time to do a good review on a section, then drill. So I feel like this is way too overplanned. 
Yeah. No more than one full test a week until you're in the 170s. No you're more. You're a long way away no from that. more. People are going to hear that and they're going to think, oh, I got to do one a week. No, it's... it's No more than. You can do fewer. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. But no more than one full test a week until you're scoring in the 170s. Keep doing timed sections of games. I don't know why you're giving yourself one and a half time sometimes. I mean, are you going to be accommodated or are you not? If you're going to be yeah. accommodated, then you should always give yourself your accommodated time. If you're not going to be accommodated, then you should never give yourself accommodated time. You can review untimed as long as you want. But if you're going to do a section, you should do it in the actual time that you're going to get. And and then, yeah, un, untimed review i do not like this drilling on weaknesses like missed question types i the sounds to me like andres is going to just hammer a hundred necessary assumption questions in a row i would prefer that you actually understand one necessary assumption question and the drilling in the demon is built for that i mean i i would just get on the demon drill logical reasoning don't narrow it down to just certain question types. Let the demon choose for you. Do one question at a time and then just get pissed when you miss a question. I mean, you got to get in there and figure out, like we were talking about earlier, why is the right answer right? Why didn't you pick it? Why is the wrong answer wrong? Why did you pick it? You made two mistakes to miss that one question and that should you should be pissed off about that. But one question at a time instead of this idea that you're going to do LR and RC and two sections of logic games. Uh, you can't do all that at once. So you got to you got to slow it down and do one at a time. Thanks, Andres. Uh, you can find us at thinkinglsat.com or anywhere on social at thinkinglsat. You can also uh, email the show help at thinkinglsat anytime. We really appreciate you guys. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, you can email help at lsatdemon.com. You can check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 356 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.